Hello and welcome back to Franklin Covey's newest podcast, C-Suite Conversations with Scott Miller. That's me. I'm privileged to serve as your interviewer each week. You may recognize my face and my voice from hosting Franklin Covey's other podcast on leadership with Scott Miller, now the world's largest weekly leadership podcast, hitting between six and seven million people each week around the world. And what we found is the most interesting downloaded listened to viewed interviews from the leadership podcast weren't the ones that came from the largest celebrities or the best-selling authors or always the business titans, but rather people like you and me that had had extraordinary careers, made it to the C-suite, that shared with us insights and learnings on what both not to do and perhaps what to do in their career. And today, our guest is Reggie fees May. He is the former president and COO of Nintendo America, and he's joining us from the Northwest. Reggie, welcome to C-Suite Conversations. Scott, thank you so much. Great to be with you. Now, Reggie, I have three sons with my wife. Our boys are 8, 10, and 12, so they're very excited that I'm interviewing you today because obviously they're massive Nintendo fans, more so than we even wish they were. You can appreciate that. We wish they would balance some of their Nintendoing with reading and sports, but we're making, a, making progress on that. Reggie, thanks for coming today. I'd love it if you would take maybe the first few minutes and maybe reorient our listeners and viewers to your own professional journey. I know you are first American, Haitian American, first first, um, generation Haitian American. Your ancestors and grandparents hailed from Haiti. There's some great stories there. Talk a bit about your life and professional career and we'll get into some questions around your own leadership journey. Sure, well, again, thanks for having me. You know, in in terms of who I am, I I am a 40 year, business executive that has been in a range of different industries, everything from consumer packaged goods to durable goods, and spent about 16 years at Nintendo, uh, 13 of those years running the largest subsidiary for Nintendo, was part of the team that brought some of the huge innovations like the Nintendo Wii and the Nintendo DS, now the Nintendo Switch to the marketplace. And you know, I am by practice uh, an innovator, by practice a businessman who likes to push forward new and different ideas and have those innovations drive business results out in the marketplace. And I'm fortunate to have done that through you know, fantastic people working for me, with me, and uh, making, making these types of really intentional pivots out in the marketplace to drive stellar results. Reggie, because of that, you've taken on a bit of a brand on your own uh, as a social media influencer, someone well-known in the gaming industry, podcasting and writing and speaking and so forth. Uh, uh, You're fairly well-known for a variety of innovations and business successes, including a opening speech you once gave at a 2004 press conference where I think you were perhaps lured into a provocative opening by your public relations team. I'd love to deconstruct that. And where you're often quoted as saying at this press conference, my name is Reggie. I'm about kicking ass, taking names, and we're making, and we're about making games. Um, In and of itself, an interesting opening. And you've written and talked a lot about that. Talk about the role that presidents, CEOs, COOs should play when it comes to almost making themselves a brand inside companies. We've seen it done very successfully. Sometimes it flops. Talk about the balance of creating a personality as a leader and what the risks and rewards are inside of an organization. 
You know, Scott, I, I think it's important to deconstruct that uh, that opening statement that I made. And it, it wasn't at the behest of you know, the communications group. It really was an outcome of what the business needed at the time. And so let me set the stage. This is 2003. The video game business is being dominated by Sony's PS2. Uh, the, the couple years before I went on stage, a small little company called Microsoft had entered the video game business with their original Xbox. And so Nintendo is facing two formidable competitors. Nintendo's own GameCube is struggling in the marketplace. And I come to Nintendo at a point of significant challenge for the company. And in spending time with the senior leadership at the company's headquarters in Kyoto, we know that we have a number of great products that we're about to bring to the marketplace, but that we need the gaming community, the financial community to really view Nintendo differently. They need to view Nintendo as the innovative company that it is as a more aggressive competitor in the video game space. And we needed to make a statement. And so given that objective, I worked with my team in crafting how we would launch our press conference at the world's most important gaming event, uh, an event called E3. And that's what drove that statement of, you know, my name is Reggie. I'm about kicking ass, I'm about taking names, and we're, right, the broad Nintendo community and its business partners, we're about making games. Now, the second part of your question in terms of the role of the leader, to me, the role of the leader is to shape vision, to communicate to all of its constituents where the business is going. And I was fortunate to be able to do that. Now, my own personal nature is to be competitive. My own personal nature is to have fun. And so that led to a number of uh, uh, provocative statements, pushing the company's agenda, all doing it in a way that respected the culture of Nintendo, the, the, the overall gaming industry. And so I think that when a leader is being true to themselves, true to the brand that they represent, it, it can be quite effective for that leader to personify the business. And I was fortunate, along with our global president, a gentleman by the name of Satoru Wada, and our key game creator, arguably the world's best game creator, a gentleman by the name of Shigeru Miyamoto, essentially the three of us became the, the figureheads for the company and the spokespeople communicating what it was that we were trying to do really to the entire world. So as long as it is coming from the right place, as long as it's, it's on brand in, in so many ways, it works. Now, the last thing I would tell you is it's not as if all of this was planned. When I was recruited to come join the company, as head of sales and marketing for the North American subsidiary, there was no side conversation that said, Reggie, you're gonna be one of the key faces of the company. It happened naturally. 
because I was able to communicate a vision. I was able to push the agenda. I was able to rally my organization and to really achieve results that weren't, uh, that we didn't think were possible. So I think it doesn't work when the leader tries too hard. I think it doesn't work when it is uh, the, the communications team that's trying too hard to make it work. It needs to be natural and it needs to come from the right place. Reggie, thank you for that. It's, it's kind of a masterclass in um, the role of the C-suite delicately balanced depending upon the intent behind it. Take it a step further. Um, I'm gonna guess a common challenge that most CEOs, COOs, presidents are facing right now is a sort of inverse correlation in their age and longevity and that of their coming customer. Meaning that you know, people like you and I that are perhaps in our 50s and you know, going on to our 60s, I'm 54, you're clearly much younger than I am. We're not our future customer for our company. We're looking, of course, to create younger customers and speak to them. What advice do you have for people who are in the C-suite, who are entering the C-suite, and perhaps they're not yet in the crescendo of their career, but they're, you know, they're a result of their experience, not in their 20s or 30s per se, maybe some of them are. How do you balance being a, a, a person of longevity and wisdom while still being nimble and agile and relatable with what your future clientele looks like? Look, for, for me, I believe that whenever you're running a business, you need to be passionate about that industry. You need to be deep into uh, the business, the mechanics of how your products are used. You need to have a, a clear and deep understanding of your consumer. And let me just give you a few examples. Uh, early in my career working for Procter & Gamble, I was the brand manager for Crisco Shortening. So guess what? I was baking pies, I was baking cookies. My young kids at the time loved it because dad was always in, in the kitchen making all of these fabulous treats. I was deep into my business understanding how the product is used, what are the, the issues around its utilization. You know, I could speak to a 50-year-old mom. I was in my 20s at the time. I could speak to a 50-year-old mom uh, who was who was a champion pie maker for her community because I had deep knowledge of the business. When I was working in the bicycle industry, I was riding my road bike 20 miles uh, a day every weekend deep into my business. So I was fortunate when I joined Nintendo. I had already been an avid game player, but believe me, I made sure to connect to my consumer to understand their key motivations, connect with my product, uh, and, and to better understand my competitors as well. I played competitive products to make sure that I really understood the industry. And so I do believe that, uh, you know, when, when you're whatever age engaging with a product that may be utilized by uh, individuals of a different age or different background, you know, your job is to really understand all of the details of your product, your category. And, and from that standpoint, you know, age is not a factor. I continue to play games. You know, uh, Scott, I'll, I'll say it. I'm 61 years old. I continue to play video games. I was just on the Cornell University campus interacting with college students, you know, talking about not only video games, but entertainment, what's going on in popular culture. 
I believe as a business executive in whatever industry you're in, you need to be committed to being a lifelong learner and having intellectual curiosity about the category, the space in its broadest sense uh, to make sure that you can, you can really have an articulate point of view as to what's going on in the space. Reggie, talk about some of the cultural um, sensitivities of working in an organization that might be you know, operating in one country but owned by a company in another country with very different cultures. You know, American and Japanese cultures have some similarities and a lot of disparities. What advice would you give people that are look, perhaps looking for an international assignment? Maybe they're moving from a leadership role in the US to a different country or vice versa. Our audience is primarily American, but what are some of the things you've learned while you know, obviously yourself being of you know, Haitian American heritage, but also working around the world and for a Japanese owned company, anything that you would say are some principles that leaders should be mindful of as they're looking for advancing in a multicultural global organization? So I do believe that as you join an organization uh, and more and more you know, multi national multicultural organizations that you really need to understand uh, the history, the heritage, the background, not only of the company, but of the geographic area where that company maybe has the, the greatest home mm-hmm. uh, in terms of uh, you know, core values and, and, and core understanding. And so in this case, I'll use my time uh, working for uh, Diageo and in particular working on the Guinness brand. You know, Guinness and its its home in Ireland, uh, I made it a point as a black American of Haitian descent to really understand Irish culture, to really understand, you know, the history of Guinness, you know, Guinness was being brewed before the American Revolution. Um, you know, Guinness as a company uh, became, you know, the sixth largest company in the world. Not the sixth largest brewer, sixth largest company in the world uh, during a period of time. I made it my responsibility to understand the history, the culture, so that then, as an executive, I could not only pay my respect to that culture, but also to see how we could reshape elements of the culture in a way that drive the business forward. So now I'll pivot back to Nintendo. You know, Nintendo is a Japanese company, but it's headquartered in Kyoto, not in in, uh, Tokyo. Kyoto is the old emperor's capital. It's got a rich history around Uh, you know, fine products, the the very best linens and sake. That was important because the game developers at Nintendo have this same mentality of of really creating the world's best products. And understanding that history, understanding that heritage was critically important. The company has a history of innovation and honoring that history of innovation was also critically important. But my job as the head of the largest subsidiary was to help drive innovation, to help drive a competitiveness out in the marketplace. And so from that perspective, I took the best of the company's 
culture and values added my own to help push it in a, a positive direction. So you need to understand the culture of the organization you're joining. You need to understand, if you will, the history and the values, not only of the company, but of the geographic area that it's, it's most defined by. And then, especially if you're a leader joining this organization, you need to understand what elements where you share all of those common values and what elements you're bringing to the party. Because I believe senior leaders not only pay homage to the existing culture, but they help shape the culture. And that's a very important responsibility. You just gave, I think, great advice to anybody who's interviewing for a job, right? Is to think carefully about the kind of research you do on the organization and to have that context, that texture for those conversations. Let's do a speed round. Reggie, the leaders who get promoted the fastest do what? I believe they focus on developing their people and their organization. And just you know, 30 seconds on this, I would always tell my leaders, there's a certain amount that you can do as a leader. But when you empower five people, 10 people, 20 people, 50 people, 1,000 people, you can do so much more. And so effective leaders find ways to coach, empower, train, develop their organization to achieve more than what they thought was possible. It's a great reminder. One of our statements here at Franklin Covey is uh, a leader's effective mindset is that they achieve results with and through other people. That requires you to have great relationships and great clarity. Leaders who stagnate in their careers, they do what? I believe that they typically lack intellectual curiosity or intellectual honesty, meaning intellectual curiosity is, you know, asking questions, oftentimes difficult questions, wanting to push and to probe, to learn. Uh, intellectual honesty happens, you know, when you hear things that you don't like, but then you choose to ignore them anyhow, you, you know, you're, you're displaying uh, intellectual dishonesty. So in, in my view, you have to have intellectual curiosity as well as intellectual honesty. What do you think is the most underrated but important leadership competency, perhaps beyond intellectual curiosity and things like that? What's the most underrated but necessary leadership skill? I, I don't know if it's underrated, but I don't think we talk about it enough and that's irrefutable integrity. You know, as a leader, people need to believe you. When, when you say we're doing X, Y, or Z, or we're performing this way, people need to believe you. And so you have to have irrefutable integrity. And I, I think that's something that, uh, you know, if you, if you look at organizations that are stumbling, you know, I would argue part of the issue is that the, the leader has displayed a, a lack of integrity in terms of either communicating the realities of the business situation or the challenges. I don't think we talk about it enough. Reggie, talk about your own career for a moment. Uh, check your humility. If you had to say, these are the one or two things that I've done in my career, meaning your career, that have differentiated you from your peers, that really helped you to either to catapult faster than you thought it would be. What are the one or two things that you think that you've done 
uniquely different, but yet are replicable and that other people could also do in their own careers? You know, I think as I look back in, in my career, what I've been able to do is to set a vision, communicate it to the organizations so that they understand it and they can deliver against it. So it's that combined ability to paint a picture that we all understand, that we all know where we're going uh, and making sure that every single person, whether it's you know, the number two executive in that particular organization or it's the, the newest employee walking in the door, that as you communicate the vision and how we will get there, I, I, th I think that's been a key to my overall success. Reggie, you have worked in a broad variety of industries and global companies. You've got a lot to draw upon. You're in the boards of many different companies, both inside and outside of gaming. Uh, give us some advice on what you think we should be watching for and paying attention to, whether we're selling lingerie or tulips or software or hard goods. I think it's kind of safe to say that most of us are post-pandemic now. It feels like the last couple of weeks we're fairly post-pandemic. And of course, the Russian invasion, Ukraine is creating havoc for everyone worldwide, independent of those two things that we're all, you know, at ease or disgusted by. What are some of the prognostications as you look around corners, as you kind of peer around the corners, what are some of the things you think that the C-suite should be paying attention to in the fall and winter of 2022 and 2023 ahead? So the, the, the things that I would highlight, um, you know, first, anyone in the C-suite needs to be thinking deeply about their organization and their organization's health. You know, you're, you're absolutely right. You know, we've, we've uh, touch wood, turned the corner on COVID. Uh, we, we've been doing business for a number of years this way through a screen. Uh, that is going to continue in some way, shape or form. But there needs to be that reintroduction of the human connection uh, and making sure that your broad organization um, is, uh, is aligned on what the mission is that we're trying to accomplish that is tied to the culture of the business uh, and that everything is going in one direction versus a splintered direction. As I talk with leaders and, uh, and in particular people focused on the, uh, the, the human part of an organization, making sure that we're, we're thinking deeply about the organization and, and making sure that the organization's health is strong. Second thing I would highlight is, uh, you know, we're, we're seeing a growing uh, importance of uh, let me call it executional excellence and, and making sure that whether it's dealing with supply chain issues, whether it's it's dealing with um, you know core capabilities in the tech stack, whatever the case may be, there's an executional excellence that I believe is critical to be putting a priority on right now because things are such in flux, uh, because there are so many different challenges out there to navigate. You know, I, I, I challenge leaders really to be thinking about their executional excellence and what they're doing to enable the overall organization to execute to the best of their ability. And then lastly, what I would highlight is um, on the technology side, things are changing so, so quickly. 
uh, you know, machine learning, uh, you know, deep, deep analytical uh, capabilities uh, around artificial intelligence. If you're not thinking about how these can be applied to your business, even if you are in an old uh, mainstream type of business, how technology can be applied to move your business forward, and in particular, how computing power can be applied to your business, I, I think is so critical. And then the, the bonus thing that I would highlight is, you know, how are you thinking about your uh, organization, your company, uh, their impact on the environment? And what are you doing to, to really be thoughtful about your climate footprint moving forward? It's critically important to many of your youngest employees. Yeah. It's incredibly yeah. important to the health of, uh, of our overall environment. Um, so those are, are some of the things that I am constantly talking to my fellow board members, to senior leaders about uh, as they continue to move their businesses forward. Uh, beautifully said. Reggie, two-part final question. I ask this both as a host, a business leader, an entrepreneur, a parent. Uh, what are the skills that you see coming into the workforce, whether the people are coming out of you know, community college, four-year college, high school, trade schools? What do you see the workforce is lacking as they come into organizations right now? What, I don't mean the question to be negative, but it has a bit of a critical lens to it. What do you wish was different about the, work, the, the new workforce coming, into, um, coming out of school and into organizations? What's lacking? Yeah, so I, I, I hone on this point uh, with my own kids. Uh, I, I was just on Cornell University's campus uh, lecturing and, and talking to young people. I continuously reinforce the need for improvement in communication skills, uh, verbal communications. You know, get rid of those words, uh, what I call filler words, um and like and all of this. You know, we need to teach our young people to have a clarity of verbal communication in order for them to be persuasive, to articulate a point of view, to shape the opinion and thoughts of others with a level of clarity and persuasiveness. And the same is true in written communication. You know, this is where I believe social media has hurt our young population. You know, everyone's thinking in terms of a limited number of characters and emojis. There needs to be a persuasiveness and clarity in written communication as well. I was fortunate to start my career at Procter & Gamble, a focus on the perfect one-page memorandum to communicate a point of view and to sell a perspective. And I'm constantly reinforcing the need for our young people to really focus on both their written communication as well as their verbal communication to be effective in whatever role they're going to do, whether it's to, to uh, be... Uh, some junior executive in an up-and-coming company or, or whether they're running their own business and trying to communicate with their key customers. Reggie, I love your answer. And there has to be at least one listener thinking, oh, wait a minute. You just said that the number one core competency needs to be verbal communication and ability to express yourself and eye contact and relationships. 
but yet you spent, you know, a decade plus of your career in the gaming industry, which is clearly having an impact on children being able to get out and have that skill. And I don't mean to make that antagonistic, but you've got to have thought about the incongruency of when you've got kids that are sitting at home gaming, like my kids, you know, we have a rule in our house. Every minute you game, then you are reading a book another minute. And so we have a, we have a you know, 30 minutes each both days. What do you think is either the responsibility or whose responsibility is it to balance the fact that when kids are gaming, they're probably not building these important skills that you just beautifully articulated. So I'm gonna answer that in two parts. And first, there are a number of video game experiences that actually help people generate real world skills that have value out in, in the world, whether it's reading capability. So I, I speak with parents all the time who say, yes, you know, Pokemon, the Pokemon franchise, which is part of the Nintendo family, you know, this is how my six or seven year old learned how to read because that game largely is a text-based game and you need to read to understand what's happening. There are games that create strategic thinking skills. There are games that shape an understanding of the, the financial community and how mortgages work. These are all elements within video games. And so I, I, I think to paint the video game industry uh, broadly in a negative light is wrong. There, there are a number of critical lifelong skills yeah. that can be learned through the, the execution of a number of key video games out there in the marketplace. Now, you know, your question of you know, whose responsibility is it? You know, I, I would argue absolutely game developers, game publishers have a responsibility to the community to put content that uh, has positive elements that has real value out there to the broader community. Video games are the largest form of entertainment today. It's a $200 billion industry. Three billion people play video games. So absolutely, the industry has a responsibility around the content they put out. But make no mistake, when you are a parent uh, whether of younger kids, older kids, it is your responsibility to manage the consumption of this content that's happening. You know, uh, my oldest child is 26 right now, but when, when I had young kids, I absolutely managed the amount of time that they played video games. And Scott, I did, you know, what you did. You know, you, you can have this form of entertainment for a period of time, but then there needs to be other parts of the world that you experience, whether it's sports, whether it's reading, whatever the case may be. And so it is absolutely a parent's responsibility to manage the intake of all of the entertainment and all of the different experiences that your child is exposed to, um, because in the end, you're trying to shape uh, an individual that's going to have positive, uh, a positive impact on their broad community. And, and that's only through a well-rounded basket of experiences uh, that the, uh, the individual has had throughout their lifetime. 
Reggie, I hope you still have stock in Nintendo because the Miller family just came back from a two-week vacation in the Amalfi Coast, and we spent more money on Italian Pokemon cards than we did gelato. I mean, everywhere we went, my three young boys were wanting to collect Pokemon cards. We came back with more cards. And my middle son just said, oh, I just like opening them up. I don't care about them. He just the thrill of opening them up and looking at them. So uh, congrats to you on a great career, man. Thank you for your time. Reggie Fis Aime, former COO and president of Nintendo America on many boards. Thanks for joining us today on C-Suite Conversations. Scott, thank you so much. Thank you so much for the opportunity. And we'll see you back here for a new conversation next week from the C-Suite. <laughs>